All right. Good afternoon. And this is part four of our Nomar CID series, getting started in commercial real estate. Today, we're going to look at 1031 exchanges. Um, my name is Mike Mito, and I'm the current president of Nomar CID, and I'm joined today by Mr. Ryan Pierce. Yes. Thanks again. Looking forward to this. Uh, so today, we're going to be discussing the 1031 exchange. Um, Why would somebody do a 1031 exchange? You like paying it? taxes? Who, no. Who, <laughs> who doesn't like paying taxes? Especially capital gain taxes. I think taxes. that's the one commonality with everybody. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a very useful tool available to absolutely anyone who is selling a property and has a capital gain. It's a way to shelter the gain. Yes. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's perfectly legal. And it is something that can help build generational wealth. One quick, quick disclaimer. Um, we are not real estate attorneys or CPA. So please, we're giving you a broad-based overview. But please, of the course, The nitty-gritty confirm. stuff, go to your tax professional or legal counsel and on that if you're doing a 1031 exchange you're going to need to have it's not something that you can do by yourself you no. need to have a qualified intermediary that's brought into the transaction fairly early on when you know that you're going to want to do the 1031 exchange yes because if you take possession of those funds you can't you, do it you're, you're done you got to have you can't take possession of those funds you got to have it go through the intermediary on the relinquish of that property so on the sale of the property, the funds go into an escrow account that's held by the qualified intermediary. On the purchase of the other property, the funds come out of that escrow account to pay for that property. Yeah, it never passes through your possession. Correct. Yes. So also please vet the qualified intermediary. <laughs> There's a number of them out there nationally. Um, they're all very good. Uh, I think I've dealt with four or five of them that are national before um never been an issue i remember one time at a closing uh, a lady was going to do one but she got weirded out about not being able to have her funds at closing whatever <laughs> she i guess she i hope she paid her taxes um, yeah anyway i digress but um 1031s are very very useful to us as brokers because Potentially, as uh, my colleague would say, you know, it's a potential twofer. Right. So you get the sale and the the acquisition, the purchase yeah. on the other side. Exactly. And you know, I was racking my brain. I'm thinking most of the larger deals I've been a party to were 1031 driven. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, several of the shopping centers I've been a party of uh, selling were definitely part of uh, a 1031 buyer having to buy something. Mm-hmm. And sometimes overpaying because it's better than the alternative of giving the government the money. Sure. Even if you overpay by a little bit, it's still better than that capital gains hit. Yeah. Theoretically. Which I think is what, 25, 28%, something like that. So I'd rather have all of something that I own versus having almost a quarter of it taken away from me type of thing. Um, so. Sure. Basics of a 1031. Yes. So you, we already said the intermediary. So you sell your property. You don't take your funds. It goes to the intermediary. Day one, if not, hopefully, if you're, you know, 
seasoned or good at what you do, you're already scouting for properties. You're starting to identify the properties before you even sell. You go right. to the actual act of sale for the property yourself. Exactly. That's the perfect scenario, the ideal scenario, but we all know real estate's not a always yeah. an ideal scenario type of uh, world. So you relinquish your property. You have a total of 180 days to actually buy a new one to replace it. To complete the whole transaction, the act of sale has to occur within that 180 day period. But you have what's known as the identification period, which is the first 45 days starting when you sell. And right. ideally, like we said, have your properties already kind of under site control. But within, if you don't, you have those 45 days to go and identify replacement properties that are like kind. You know, as long as they're more or less meaning as long as they're investment right. purposes and not like something that you'll be living in, you, it can be considered like kind, even if it's vacant land. That was the one thing I wanted to touch on because the one the stipulation says like kind, but I think over some years ago, they sort of broadened that out. So you could sell a shopping center yes. to buy raw land yes. to build another shopping center. Yes. Or just say it's farmland or whatever i mean you can sell a shopping An center income producing property or just speculative investment because that's okay. what raw land can be sometimes but sure uh you can sell a shopping center and go into a multifamily apartment community or an office building or whatever right so it doesn't have to be when we talk about like kind it doesn't have to be that specific kind of asset class right. and that specific quality right. but you can't sell it and go buy a yacht <laughs> that's the, not not something you can do as right. far as i'm um uh, uh, as far as i know <laughs> but i don't think you'd want to sell your shopping center and go buy a yacht because uh, as a boat owner um they definitely yeah. don't uh produce income for me sure. <laughs> sure i've had to hit up a home equity line of credit to get a motor rebuilt right. so right. uh bust out another thousand is what boat stands for in my opinion but <laughs> That's a different discussion. Yeah, that's a whole different area. Um, <laughs> so buying something, you, you know, like kind, you have to identify within those first, 30, first 45 days. Easy for me to say. Um, yeah. And how do you, how does that identification process work? How many properties? So identify generally three property rule, but there's also... The, I remember looking this up and they're saying the 200% value. So uh, if I'm reading this correctly is, you know, you can identify more, but as long as it's not. The overall real, aggregated value is not more than 200% exactly. of the property that you're relinquishing. Yeah. So your basis is going to drive what you can identify, but generally more often than not, I'd say three property rule is what almost everybody would go by. Right. Um, you know, during COVID, they had some uh, flexibility on that. I remember uh, about the identification period because, you know, the world kind of stopped turning. <laughs> right. More or less. There was some... Uh, some changes around that uh and they had some, i think there's something i read about disaster uh relief deadline extensions i think more or less it kind of fell underneath that but 
um i think we're back to the normal stuff now there's also the stipulation in that that you have to have at least as much leverage in the property that you're exchanging into is there I believe so okay. yes again okay. test this but if if you what is it if you you can't you can't pay for something all cash you can pay for something all cash but you have to have like if you had a 70 percent like loan on it then you have to have at least that there's something to that effect i don't know about that (laughs) i remember reading something like that okay well i guess that goes back to Talk to your <laughs> talk to a professional. Talk to your tax professional. There's a lot of little nuances here. Yeah, but the main thing is, as us for our for us in our industry, is making sure you identify within the appropriate time, use the intermediary, right, and you close within the proper time, and you know have the site control of those properties when you have the identification because the last thing you want is to identify properties that end up not being available. And one of the things that I remember from when I, when I went and did it is if you've identified a property within that 45 day period, but then you don't end up doing the deal, you can pull your money back out, but you don't get it back until the 181st day. But if you if you identify if you don't identify a property, you can get the money back on the forty sixth day. Okay. But then, of course, you're you're subject to the capital gains and everything like that. Yeah. Which, but like you're saying, though, if if you do happen to identify a property for whatever reason, you lose control of it. Somebody else comes in and acquires the property. You aren't able to close the deal on it, for whatever reason, other issues come up. Right. You can't get your your funds don't aren't released from the escrow until the end of that 180 day period. Exactly. And another thing was, uh, when you relinquish it, the thing to consider was also the debt. Yes. As far as the funds and everything like that. Um, so this is just a, an overview of an exchange from IPX 1031. So we're trying to make sure we get you solid information exactly like we said work with a trusted advisor so in this scenario says let's assume that the taxpayer sells an investment in real estate for a million dollars and property is comprised of both equity and debt in this example the taxpayer has six hundred thousand dollars of equity and four hundred thousand dollar loan if the taxpayer sells her property in order to get full deferral utilizing a 1031 exchange she'll have to roll all of her net equity a little less than the six hundred thousand dollars after closing costs into the replacement part property and she will need to replace the value of her debt the $400,000 loan replacing the value in replacing the value of the debt the IRS is not concerned how the taxpayer replaces that $400,000 loan in fact the taxpayer has a number of options traditional financing cash seller financing and private money and any combination of the above mentioned options would be suitable for example the taxpayer could go back to her bank and obtain a $100,000 loan, bringing $100,000 of fresh cash, 
have a carryback note between her and the seller of the replacement property for $100,000 and obtain private money loan in the amount of $100,000. When all of those are added together, the taxpayer has successfully replaced the value of the $400,000 debt that she had on the relinquished property and when completing her 1031 exchange will have fully deferred her taxes. All righty then. So I think that's more clearly said than yeah. what I was able to come up with. Or me. <laughs> I think that wraps us up for the basics of a 1031. The main reason to do it is to shelter those gains and it, and something that is used. There's a couple other things, though, um, just in going through this process. So the property that is being exchanged has to have been used as an income producing property or however that gets defined for 24 months prior to the exchange. Then the property that you rolled into has to have that same application for 24 months after it. So Mm -hmm. an example, like for me, I sold a property here that was a rental property that I'd rented out to somebody for about two and a half years. So I had the records of that and I rolled it into a condo, which then I kept on a rental program. And so for 24 months, that property was rented out and I could use it, but I was limited in the amount that I could use it. And so if the way that that worked was either during the course of that year, 365 days, if I didn't, if there wasn't a specific number, so the number was 10% of the days that it was available for rent. So if it was available for rent every single day of the year, theoretically, then I could use it for like 30 days during it. In the absence of that, I was limited to about 14 days for the first 24 months of that exchange process, after which time that sort of gets washed away. There's a couple other items on the 1031 exchange as well, which is sort of that it it doesn't, your obligation to pay taxes doesn't completely go away because if you sell that property, it's not like the gain on that property that you rolled in. forward. It, correct. And so you would still have to pay capital gains on that unless you did a 1031 exchange out of that property. And then the other thing is as well, though you can get a step up in basis mm-hmm. um, when you pass away. Yeah. So your estate doesn't have, it's at the value at that time that you pass the estate, the basis is stepped up. So in the event that they go to sell it, their gain is brought down. It's not based on what you, if you'd acquired the property 15 years before, it's not based on that. It's what's based on when effectively it goes into that. Estate. Estate. Yeah. Which I've dealt with some uh, families that were saying, oh no, this has been our family for Know, 40 years and our basis is so low I'm like well when p-pop died a long long time ago and you got it in the 80s and then the next person in the family died that went up to so right and your basis is not what it was based off of when they acquired it in you know 72 it was what happened last year when you know the the mother or the father or whoever it was passed on and gave it to the estate so um, not that really changed their opinion on anything. They still didn't want to sell. I think there is sentimental, uh, <laughs> sentimental value to the property, even though it's been vacant for umpteen years. But anyway, I digress. It was explaining to them the stepped up basis of it wasn't from when it was way, way, way back. It's what it is at the time 
that it went to the next person in the estate. Yeah. And so in that, that sense, if you get familiar with using it and you are invested in commercial properties, it is a great way to preserve wealth and mm -hmm. to then pass it on to further generations to sort of create a general generational income. Exactly. So it's one of the key things about it. It's, it's available to everybody. Um, well worth looking into. Exactly. All right. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you.